0: The following is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit www.librivox.org. This reading is by the soon-to-be world-famous Vinnie Bove. Visit Vinnie at www.boveart.com. And now, on with the show. Chapter seventeen-Vertical Descent-Now began our real journey. Hitherto our toil had overcome all difficulties; now difficulties would spring up at every step. I had not yet ventured to look down the bottomless pit into which I was about to take a plunge. The supreme hour had come. I might now either share in the enterprise or refuse to move forward; but I was ashamed to recoil in the presence of the hunter. Hans accepted the Enterprise with such calmness, such indifference, such perfect disregard of any possible danger that I blushed at the idea of being less brave than he. If I had been alone, I might once more have tried the effect of argument. But in the presence of the guide I held my peace, my heart flew back to my sweet days, and I approached the central chimney. I have already mentioned that it was a hundred feet in diameter and three hundred feet round. I bent over a projecting rock and gazed down. My hair stood on end with terror. The bewildering feeling of acuity laid hold upon me. I felt my center of gravity shifting its place and giddiness mounting into my brain like drunkenness. There is nothing more treacherous than this attraction down deep abysses. I was just about to drop down when a hand laid hold of me. It was that of Hans.' I suppose I had not taken as many lessons on gulf exploration as I ought to have done in Frelzer's Kirk at Copenhagen. But, however short was my examination of this well, I had taken some account of its conformation. Its almost perpendicular walls were bristling with innumerable projections which would facilitate the descent. But if there was no want of steps, there still was no rail. A rope fastened to the edge of the aperture might have helped us down, "'But how are we to unfasten it, when arrived at the other end?' "'My uncle employed a very simple expedient to obviate this difficulty. "'He uncoiled a cord of the thickness of a finger, and four hundred feet long. First, he dropped half of it down, "'then he passed it round a lava block that projected conveniently, "'and through the other half down the chimney. "'Each of us could then descend by holding with the hand both halves of the rope, "'which would not be able to unroll itself from its hold.' When two hundred feet down, it would be easy to get possession of the whole of the rope by letting one end go and pulling down by the other. Then the exercise would go on again ad infinitum. Now, said my uncle, after having completed these preparations, now let us look to our loads. I will divide them into three lots. Each of us will strap one upon his back. I mean only fragile articles. Of course, we were not included under that head. Hans, said he, will take charge of the tools and a portion of the provisions. You, Axel, will take another third of the provisions and the arms, and I will take the rest of the provisions and the delicate instruments. But, said I, the clothes and that mass of ladders and ropes, what is to become of them? They will go down by themselves. How so? I asked. You will see presently. My uncle was always willing to employ magnificent resources. Obeying orders, Hans tied all the non-fragile articles in one bundle, corded them firmly, and sent them bodily down the gulf before us. I listened to the dull thuds of the descending bale. My uncle, leaning over the abyss, followed the descent of the luggage with a satisfied nod, and only rose erect when he had quite lost sight of it. Very well. Now it is our turn now, I ask any sensible man if it was possible to hear those words without a shudder. The professor fastened his package of instruments upon his shoulders. Hans took the tools, I took the arms, and the descent commenced in the following order—Hans, my uncle, and myself. It was effected in profound silence, broken only by the descent of loosened stones down the dark gulf. I dropped, as it were frantically clutching the double cord with one hand and buttressing myself from the wall with the other by means of my stick. One idea overpowered me almost, fear lest the rock should give way from which I was hanging. This cord seemed a fragile thing for three persons to be suspended from. I made as little use of it as possible, performing wonderful feats of equilibrium upon the lava projections which my foot seemed to catch hold of like a hand. When one of these slippery steps shook under the heavier form of Hans, he said in his tranquil voice, "'Gift acht, Attention!' repeated my uncle. In half an hour we were standing upon the surface of a rock jammed in across the chimney from one side to the other. Hans pulled the rope by one of its ends, the other rose in the air. After passing the higher rock it came down again, bringing with it a rather dangerous shower of bits of stone and lava. LEANING OVER THE EDGE OF OUR NARROW STANDING GROUND, I OBSERVED THAT THE BOTTOM OF THE HOLE WAS STILL INVISIBLE. THE SAME MANEUVER WAS REPEATED WITH THE CORD, AND A HALF AN HOUR AFTER WE HAD DESCENDED ANOTHER TWO HUNDRED FEET. I DON'T SUPPOSE THE MADDEST GEOLOGIST UNDER SUCH CIRCUMSTANCES WOULD HAVE STUDIED THE NATURE OF THE ROCKS THAT WE WERE PASSING. I AM SURE I DID TROUBLE MY HEAD ABOUT THEM. Pliocene, Miocene, Eocene, Cretaceous, Jurassic, Triassic, Permian, Carboniferous, Devonian, Silurian, or Primitive was all one to me. But the professor, no doubt, was pursuing his observations or taking notes, for in one of our halts, he said to me, The farther I go, the more confidence I feel. The order of these volcanic formations affords the strongest confirmation to the series of Davy. We are now among the primitive rocks upon which the chemical operations took place which are produced by the contact of elementary bases of metals with water. I repudiate the notion of central heat altogether. We shall see further proof of that very soon. No variation, always the same conclusion. Of course I was not inclined to argue. My silence was taken for consent and the dissent went on. Another three hours, and I saw no bottom to the chimney yet. When I lifted my head I perceived the gradual contraction of its aperture. Its walls, by a gentle incline, were drawing closer to each other, and it was beginning to grow darker. Still we kept descending. It seemed to me that the falling stones were meeting with an earlier resistance, and that the concussion gave a more abrupt and deadened sound. As I had taken care to keep an exact account of our maneuvers with the rope, which I knew that we had repeated fourteen times, each descent occupying half an hour, the conclusion was easy that we had been seven hours plus fourteen quarters of rest, making ten hours and a half. We had started at one. It must therefore now be eleven o'clock, and the depth to which we had descended was fourteen times two hundred feet, or twenty-eight hundred feet. At this moment I heard the voice of Hans. Holt he cried. I stopped short, just as I was going to place my feet upon my uncle's head. Via there!' he cried. "'Where?' said I, stepping near to him. "'At the bottom of the perpendicular chimney,' he answered. "'Is there no way farther?' "'Yes. There is a sort of passage which inclines to the right. "'We will see about that to-morrow. "'Let us have our supper, and go to sleep.' The darkness was not yet complete. The provision case was opened, we refreshed ourselves and went to sleep as well as we could upon a bed of stones and lava fragments. When lying on my back, I opened my eyes and saw a bright sparkling point of light at the extremity of the gigantic tube three thousand feet long, now a vast telescope. It was a star which, seen from this depth, had lost all scintillation, and which by my computation should be forty-six Ursa Minor. Then I fell fast asleep. End of Chapter Seventeen